doesn't have to take heaven and hell to meet the needs of persons with disability. From the University of Cambridge and the Center of Governance and Human Rights, this is Declarations with your host, Gerald Emanuel Ahen. Through one's no faults, one is unable to access the third floor of the building. Consequently, one is unable to fully realize one's educational rights and freedom of movement. Either by accident or nature, one is unable to access educational materials in printouts, leading to information inaccessibility. Today, we talk about disability and accessibility, especially in higher education, and we try to delve into whether accessibility should be viewed as a right or a privilege. We're very much happy and pleased to tap into the expertise of Azamati Ebenezer, an MPhil student of international relations in Oxford University, and Rensa Gond, a very prominent and a daring mouthpiece of persons with disability in the University of Cambridge. And I'm Max Curtis. I'm a panelist on declarations as well. So I'm going to give people a bit of a background about our guests today. Um, first off, we have Rensa Gond. Um, as Gerald said, uh, she's a disability activist here at Cambridge. Um, last year, she launched the Disability Campaigns Accessibility Pledge, which has been uh, signed by 28 university common rooms and campaigns. She's also pushed the university and the colleges to stop illegally charging disabled students extra for rent, studies, and adjustments, which I'm sure we're going to get into in a moment. Um, we also have Ebenezer Azamadi, who's a Ghanaian MPhil student at Oxford University. Um, famously, he was in the media spotlight last month um, because in October he was forcibly dragged from the Oxford Union by his ankles where he was attending a talk. And if you don't mind, Ebenezer, I'm going to read um, a short bit from a Guardian article about this. So the Guardian said, The incident, which was caught on video and described by the Oxford University Africa Society as violent, unjust, inhumane, and shameful, left the student feeling, quote, unwelcome in the Union, Oxford, and even the country. Um, Ebenezer is said to have arrived early to attend a debate about whether it was right to feel confident in the UK government on the 17th of October in order to reserve an accessible seat, as he was concerned that there was no special provision for disabled people. He then left to eat dinner at his college. When he returned before the start of the debate, Azamadi was refused entry, but when a friend arrived to accompany him, he went inside and sat down. Shortly afterwards, security officials entered and appeared to manhandle him out of the building. His union card was confiscated and he was expelled from the union. This obviously spilled into quite a huge controversy, but um, we're aware that you can't actually comment on this. Is that right? Uh, yes, certainly. I am not able to comment on this matter any further. And all you read, I wouldn't be able to uh, confirm or deny any of what you've um, read out there. Great, great. So, so instead of talking about that case, we're going to talk more generally about disability rights, right? Yes. So... We first of all want to find out whether accessibility, especially in higher education for persons with disability, even matter at um, all. I, um, I would argue definitely that uh, the existing provisions that we have are not sufficient. They're very well intentioned 
and they certainly recognise that the, right, the rights of disabled people are important and their rights to access uh, all services just like anyone else, those are legally enshrined as being important and being protected. However, the implementation of these, uh, sadly, is lacking, which means that in practice there is still a lack of accessibility in many mm. areas, mm. which almost seems like people don't care um, when often it's they are not aware of their legal obligations, they're not aware of how to implement uh, strategies. They're just, it's a complete lack of awareness that comes across in as intentional in some cases and can be very upsetting for individual disabled people. It's just, it's just like asking like any normal human, any human being whether or not good health is anything that matters. No, mm. clearly everybody needs good health. And um, reasoning on that background, it is important to note that if other people, whether by accident or by nature or whatsoever it is, do not have some of your senses working as it's supposed to be, clearly they have every right to accessibility wherever they find themselves. So the question as to whether accessibility matters or not, that's not even right in the first place. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's definitely correct. We, mm. we don't need to be discussing whether we should have rights or not. I think, that, unfortunately, a lot of the discourse around disability is had by people who are not disabled or who have a sort of morbid curiosity about disability. And it's sort of like people in a zoo sort of staring at you through a window and thinking, oh, theoretically, should you have rights? And that's not the kind of discourse that yeah. actually happens within dis uh, disability um, <coughs> activist spaces. No one is arguing that we shouldn't have the rights. It's, it's mostly how do we get it so that those are there by default instead of us having to ask again and again yeah. for the adjustments that we need. All things being All things equal, we shouldn't even have had any form of conventions, any form of um, rules to even regulate or compel mm. public institutions to provide um, accessible um, environments for persons with disability. This is something that should have been done even without these rules and, I mean, mm. regulations, I think. Well, but do we think with the existence of um, these legal frameworks trying to push institutions and individuals to respect the rights of all persons with disability and also provide accessibility for all persons with disability so they could compete on equal platform with any other person. Do we think um, it's even been implemented on the ground? There, there, there are two there, things there are, that I have to say about this. The first yeah. one is um, clearly uh, in many institutions, these, they, these laws and legal frameworks are not being implemented. Mm -hmm. It's clear. Uh, not just that, some of the institutions that are implementing these laws and legal frameworks are also implementing it because they don't feel like they have to, but they feel, oh, well, we need to do it to kind of boost the image of our institution. Mm. And mm. it's very much unfortunate that the, 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 the latter is the case, case. in many many places why would these institutions rather just have disability laws and legal frameworks implemented because they want to boost their image it's because of the current world we have which is that well i mean people are complaining out there as a terror you don't want to be accused because if you are accused you have your your entire image um being dragged in the mud 
So, well, I mean, let's just put anything at all in place. At least it shows that we are doing something. But at the end of the day, mm. that is not what is supposed to be the case. What's supposed to be the case is that institutions are supposed to feel that it is right and proper for them to implement legal frameworks and laws that are put in place to make sure that every single person has access to such institutions. Mm. And as to why the others are not implementing it, I do think there are two things involved. One, there is that sheer sense of we don't care. Okay. And we are not affected. So it doesn't concern us. We wouldn't do it. Then you have others who are like, huh, we would wish to do this, but hmm, is it necessary? <laughs> the need. So mm. you have some people asking you that, well, I mean, we don't have any disabled person in here yet. So why should we put this in place? But interestingly enough, interestingly enough these people do not appreciate the fact that disability is not asked for, neither is it neither does it have a time range that it comes mm -hmm. or whatsoever any yeah. person at any point in time yeah. could become a disabled person mm. so for you to say that oh we don't have a disabled person here for which reason we don't need to put accessibility needs in place i think that's completely mm. wrong this idea of thinking that every disabled person needs the same thing is just sickening sometimes because mm. you go somewhere and you're like Oh, we have a disabled room. Do you need to do you need to use that? I'm like, what is in there? And they're like, <laughs> Oh, we have waste. We have um wheelchair user accessory, blah blah. And I'm like, for goodness sake, do you realize that I don't have the same needs as someone with a wheelchair? Do you realize that someone with a wheelchair doesn't have the same needs as me? Yes, talking about that, I remember recently in one of the airports when I arrived, so the I booked for um, assistance. Mm -hmm. Now, without asking me anything, this person who is supposed to be my assistant came around and brought a wheelchair. Oh, no. That I should say the wheelchair so that it pushes me. Just assuming that if you're a person with disability, at all costs, you need to be pushed in a wheelchair. So it's, I think it's very much important. It's, um, they need to recognize that each form of disability comes with, I mean, the needs that one needs to provide. But talking about invisible um, mm -hmm. disabilities, I think it's very much important because if you go to a train station, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, how do you even convince them that it did? You are even a person with disability since it's not visible. It's actually, it's actually, it's actually quite tricky uh, yeah. for me because sometimes I don't I don't need help. So people are used to seeing me walk around okay. and uh, without any kind of adjustments or assistance. And then when uh, I have chronic pain, so a lot of the time I will not be able to carry things or not be able to hold things or um, my bag. Um, which has wheels, I drag on my back, and people sort of see me as being a bit eccentric rather than having sort of support that I need. And when yeah. I explain that I am disabled, a lot of people give me this look of, you know, but you're not a real disabled yeah. person, which is a phrase that um, absolutely needs to die. Real disabled um, person. <laughs> <laughs> it's such uh, an mm. embarrassing Maybe phrase. we need to get certificates for real disabled persons. Yeah, so I normally have to just fob people off with... Um, a sort of vague summary of what is wrong and hope that they get too scared to ask any further questions. Um, normally, if I just... If you if you say, I'm really tired when you have chronic fatigue, people just think, oh, you didn't get very much sleep because you were out drinking or maybe you're just a bit sleepy or you're a bit lazy. Whereas if I say, 
the full name of the condition, which I actually can't pronounce, so I just make up some of the, some of the syllables. Um, but it shortens to ME. Um, <laughs> um, it's some kind of Latin word. Um, then people are all of a sudden like, oh, wow, that sounds really serious. That's like a doctor word. Even <laughs> though really what I've said is the same as I'm very tired and I need to sit down. Um, people just, what, when it's a, a medical term, it's suddenly got this um, believability about it, yeah. which they didn't believe me when it was just normal words, but suddenly if a doctor has said it, then, oh, wow, we must immediately yeah. um, look after you and your needs. I find that really, really quite funny. Let's, let's look, look at, at um, some of the essential stuff that we think are very much pertinent to persons with disability as far as accessibility is concerned, but appears to have been ignored conspicuously by these institutions. So we know that, for instance, if um, you are a, a, a blind student, they're supposed to ensure that all materials are in accessible formats. If you are wheelchair bound, um, there should be lifts, for instance, mm -hmm. so you could get access to all your lecture halls. But are these enough? Do we still have more that have been ignored by um, institutions? Um, there is so much more that has been ignored, I would say. I mean, mm. so look, providing these things for blind people, um, I mean, people with visual impairment, and people, wheelchair users, et cetera. The, the physical, the provision of physical things, yes, really, really matter. But there is an essential part that we always lose sight. Mm. I have said early on that we all don't have the same disabilities. We have different forms of disabilities. And one major thing that institutions have ignored all over the having disability officers in their institutions. If at least you have a disability officer and somebody comes in and you don't have a given, um, say, a, 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 a given thing that somebody could use as a disabled person, yeah. at least the person gets to speak to the disability officer. The disability officer gets to, understands, gets to understand his or her problem and can then go ahead to, to help make adjustments okay. for that person. Because at, at least the disability officer is aware that, oh yes, this kind of disability exists. Let's take Renz's case as, as, as an example. Yeah. Renza goes somewhere and there is no disability officer. Now Renza would have to explain her, her situation to anybody and everybody around, which she, she doesn't have to in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. If there were disabled, if if there were a disability officer, yeah. and then at the end, the, the annoying thing is it is that at the end of the day, all the people she would have explained herself to do not even understand her condition, mm -hmm. yeah. so they tend to kind of like ignore her entirely. Mm -hmm. And you're like, no, for goodness sake, she didn't need to explain herself to a thousand and one people yeah. for her situation or the demands of her situation to be yeah. met to yeah. be met. No. Yeah. There was only supposed to be one thing, a disabled, yeah. a disability officer, yeah. whom she would have explained herself to. That person would have, would understand her and then proceed with whatever measures they need to put in place for her. Definitely. I think it is important to understand that not all people understand disability issues just because they're a professional and they theoretically are familiar with the Equality Act, which is sort of the legal power that um, should keep disability rights at the forefront of every institution's mind. Um, a lot of the time people don't know about it. Really, 
only someone who is trained to work in disability situations like a disability officer yeah. it's only really them who are going to take you seriously and not require you to convince them that you are disabled mm -hmm. within the university of cambridge we have a disability resource center yeah. which for essentially for your studies they come up with a document that says the kind of things that you might need so yeah. in my case I might need extended deadlines because I might have accidentally slept through a day mm. where I was supposed to be doing some work. Mm. Um, and theoretically, um, all staff members should receive this. Theoretically, they should all do it. But obviously, as it comes down to a person-to-person -person response, it, it only requires one person to fail in that chain of information transmission for nobody to do it. And for what was theoretically my right legally, to just dissipate into nothing and for me to have to go around individually again explaining to staff members exactly why I need this and why they should listen to me and why they should believe that me exactly. needing longer deadlines is not me trying to somehow trick them out of out of my education that I'm paying for. That, that's that's that, that really, really a good thing to have. So every college in Oxford mm. tend to have a disability officer. Yeah. And I found that so, so, so wonderful because mm. It only it helps a lot because the college is not only your your academic uh, residence, if I may put it that way, sure. but it's also your hall of residence. So for Oxford to put in place uh, an institution like Oxford to put in place mm -hmm. disability officers in all all colleges is really 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 helpful, and I I found it very helpful because. Also, you don't have to go to the senior tutor to explain your disability issues. You, neither do you have to go to the principal, the warden, or the president of whichever college you are to explain your issues. You just get in touch with your disability, your college disability officer, and they can take issues from there for you. And apart from that, you also get to have the the the, the central disability uh, as uh, disability advisory services, which is equally helpful. I'm just saying this to um, explain how it makes things easier, not just for disabled persons, but also for entire like for an entire administration. Because, I mean, if you are the managing director of a bank or you are the um, principal of a college, I don't think you want to have um, disabled students coming into your office every time saying, "Oh, uh, principal, I need this, I need mm -hmm. that." No, 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 yeah. you don't. So. If you put in place um, stuff like what colleges in Oxford have done, having disability officers, etc., everybody just walk to them and say, oh, disability officer A, I need A, B, C, and D. And they just put in place those things. Mm. Right. Exactly, straightforward. Right. That, that sounds similar to the system in Cambridge. Obviously, implementation will, will vary. People won't always get it right. But theoretically, it's, it's a great idea. But so this disability officers that we're talking about, um, are these people supposed to be uh, people that are trained in issues of disability or anyone who um, has probably gotten some form of degree can just improvise or we looking for not at all <laughs> not at all well, not <laughs> at all not at all just that was a bit ask, of a loaded question wasn't it? <laughs> yeah so, I mean, so <laughs> just just ask just ask um um n not anyone at all goes to coach a football team just ask not anyone at all takes the scissors and the knife to go to the theater. And just as not anyone at all sits at the counter as a bank manager or a tailor, clearly not anyone at all uh, should be assigned the duties of a disability officer. Such people must have 
the adequate training and retraining. Because look, issues of disability keep evolving. They don't stay the same all through and through, no. They keep evolving and people must be trained. People must be trained and retrained rigorously all the time on issues of disabilities. I think it's mm. potentially an issue of prior priorities as well. It's not yeah. a special bonus feature that you install once you've got all the other things that you want. Um, legally, in the UK at least, um, organisations are obliged to make an anticipatory set of adjustments for students. Um, basically what that means is not that they have to wait for you to need the services and then to sort of conjure something up. Um, they have to have thought about it in advance and to make it happen, sort of make it be possible before you have asked for it. Um, and that is certainly only possible if you have dedicated staff for it. And there are dedicated staff for all sorts of things. I think if it's important enough, then there will be the resources for it. If they prioritise it, then it will happen. Yeah, yeah. I think in the context of universities, it's also really important to talk about uh, mental illness as yeah. a disability because everyone sees disability as a, as a physical thing. And of course, yeah. all disabilities do have physical manifestations, but mm. it's not entirely a physical um, issue. I think yeah. one situation that was that was quite telling in Cambridge was that the the counselling service used to be in a in a building that was inaccessible physically <laughs> so if you were in a wheelchair you didn't have the right to be mentally ill um, which I think is astounding you know yeah. people people will see a disabled person and think oh yeah well they're sad not because they're depressed but because they're just sad that they're in a wheelchair mm. and they would see it as some kind of oh well obviously they feel sad you know th there's no treatment that's gonna that's gonna meet that now, thankfully, it's been moved to a new building and we have both the Disability Resource Centre and the University Counselling Service in Indeed. a building that has a lift and that has um, automatic doors and things like that that mean that mm. disabled people don't have to go through the administrative faff of getting it in another building or asking very nicely or, or whatever, which was what it was like before. Um, there is also, within the counselling service, a provision to ask for... Um, a BME counsellor. So if yeah. a student is is experiencing difficulties and thinks that it's going to be quite frustrating to have to deal with someone who is white who doesn't have any kind of cultural awareness or awareness of their background, they can request a, a BME counsellor. I think that's, that's a really interesting step to find a, a solution for students who are in the middle of several different kind of marginalisations who say a disabled black student might need disability positive spaces but there are probably people there who reflect society's racism and mm. similarly they might seek out black spaces for that kind of support but then it mirrors society's disabilism and trying to meet the the needs of people in the middle who are sort of doubly disadvantaged. Yeah so, so talking about BME let's talk about the extent to which identity uh, compounds on, I mean, problems on persons with disability. So if you're a person with disability, does your identity in any way um, kind of exacerbate your problems or, I mean, does it uh, reduce the problem? I mean, I think it's like suffering a double fate, isn't it? Mm. Because then you have society turn on you on the other side 
for being black or having any other identity. And then on this side, society again turns on you. Like, oh, you have a disability as well. And the interesting thing that people don't pay attention to is that all of these things are not what are not things that people wrote letters to ask for. Or people went to somebody's office to tell them that, oh, excuse me, can you please make me a disabled person? Many of these identities that people tend to have are just not things they requested for. Mm. They had it through no fault of theirs. And that is why I do not think people should be discriminated against in any way because the things for which you are discriminated against are not things you demanded for, you asked for, or requested in any way. Um, I think also an, an important example of this is um, how women or people who are perceived to be women um, are treated with regards to health and disability. Um, notable examples are people with pain conditions um, who are often diagnosed with a condition way later because their pain was not taken seriously. It was sort of yeah. uh, seen as w women's hysteria or like women's pain as this sort of amorphous, um, shadowy creature rather than as a diagnosable condition. Also, uh, women with um, autism are often not diagnosed until adulthood. Um, because people overlook their symptoms and they, they have an idea in their head of what an autistic person looks like and it's a geeky, skinny white man and therefore anyone who doesn't fit that criteria isn't automatically assessed for these kind of conditions whereas actually they are they are going to happen in other people it's not just going to be the stereotypical person who you, you try and support through that um, I think, yeah, yeah. From, a, from a woman's perspective, that is, that is a very stressful time when you don't fit the stereotype of what your condition is supposed to look like and therefore you don't get the support or it's assumed that you don't need the support that could be there. Just um, ending our conversation, uh, in the quest of providing accessibility, right, do we not make um, over provisions such that maybe persons with disability are put at an undue advantage? It's important to say that um, reasonable adjustments are legally um, a right for disabled people. Um, the issue with this is that the government uh, basically won't and can't enforce this. So organisations and institutions um, only really have to follow the law if they believe that someone is going to sue them over it. Um, this means that a lot of the time universities uh, will get away with stuff if they know that it affects one one person who doesn't have the resources to sue them. And in, in many instances, persons with disabilities do not even have the resources to sue these institutions. Because, I mean, the, the things we have to uh, um, buy mm -hmm. and use are in the first place expensive. So yeah. you don't even have enough left to go and sue any institution that has not made adjustments and provisions for you, which is yet a problem. Definitely. Mm. Definitely, I would agree that disabled people have disproportionately less time and energy left to, to be catching up with admins threatening to sue various um, institutions. And I think that that's sort of counted upon that you just will give up um, and can't, you know, don't have the mental energy for it. Um, and that's that's a real problem with the law as it stands is that it relies on you enforcing it instead of 
the government enforcing it. There's no government body that will that will deal with this on your behalf. You have to personally make the complaint, find the money, find the time to do it. And also people who are saying, you know, what if you end up with an undue advantage? If I've gone through a court case in order to be able to get a lift in a building mm-hmm. and you're worried that the issue is that I might get an undue advantage, I think that's completely the wrong perspective and also just belittles how much time and energy people put into getting really simple things um, to be done, like putting lecture notes on on an online site or getting an email to them. The amount of energy that takes to do, if you were just doing it to get a bit of an advantage, it would not be worth that energy for you. You're only doing it because you really, really need it. Mm. Yes, disability and the accessibility issues are issues that we can talk all day or week <laughs> or hours or years and we will still not be done. Just in one minute each, I think. So where do we go from here in the face of all barriers? There are three things I would like to say on this. Mm. One, it is not fair for society to put so many barriers in my way mm-hmm. as a person with disability because one, it is not something I requested for. Two, anybody could be a disabled person at any time. That is why we need to put in place measures to accommodate the needs of persons who suffer such fates. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I would say, to be very honest, um, so many disabled people have had to go extra mile, extra miles, I would say, to ask for things to be put in place, to justify why certain things should be put in place for them. And that is so, 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 so disheartening because why must I justify my disability before getting measures put in place for me? It is so, it, it's just, it's traumatic and distressing, honestly, because sometimes you even don't know what to say. It kind of appears that when, in, in such instances, when you are put under, when you are put under so much questioning, mm. you, you kind of feel like you are just making excuses. Mm-hmm. And you, you just feel like, oh, well, I'm just making excuses to be treated nicely, which is not supposed to be the case. I am not supposed to justify my disability before giving all what I need as a person with disability. Mm-hmm. And three, for how long would we continue to shout, scream, and moan about the need to meet the needs of persons with disability. For goodness sake, the blood that runs through their veins are the same as any other person's own. It doesn't have to take heaven and hell to meet the needs of persons with disability. I'd just like to add that um, a lot of students who are disabled, uh, what all count legally as being disabled, might not see themselves as having a disability, um, but that um, their needs are still as serious as anyone else's are. Mm. Um, if their life is impacted by their condition, then they legally 
do count as disabled and we shouldn't be waiting for them to use the right words for themselves in order to get support. It should just be a matter of a, a request, an easy request that is facilitated and then meeting that request. And um, yeah, that's where I hope we're heading towards sort of as a society that it, it does become more normalised and sort of doesn't become this trauma that you were talking about where you're constantly having to explain and justify to yourself as well. You know, do I really need this? Am I, am I maybe making it up, like they say? Um, yeah, definitely, I think we're moving towards a better place, but it does require constant energy from everybody to try and, try and make sense of it. It is the environment, not the condition, that makes us disabled. Again, it is us, not the supernatural, that created the barriers in the environment. And it is us, we human beings, that can eliminate such barriers to make the world a better one. Well, Rensa and Ebenezer Zamati, thank you very much um, for coming. And our cherished listeners, please do continue on the conversation. Be advocates of all forms of rights. And still, we are bringing you sensational episodes in the coming weeks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. For more declarations, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at DeclarationsPod. You can also check out our website, declarationspod.com, where every episode, including this one, has a companion piece with more information about each week's topics, written by our show notes writer, Katharina O'Mellon. Our media manager is Ms. Bamalik. Our sound editor is Helen Jennings. Matt Mamoudi and I are our producers. And Jing Bing Tan is our executive producer. And you can hear more from us and our panelists on the next episode of Declarations. <laughs>